Let's turn to Psalm chapter 3 together. Psalm chapter 3. And I want to begin by reading the inscription on top of the psalm. It says, A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. And here's the psalm he wrote in this season. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Selah means, they don't know what it means actually, but it probably means some kind of musical interlude or pause. Pause. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. <clears throat> As I shared last week, the word on my heart for us is the word fight. And I hesitate because we live in such a combative time. We live in such a time of contention. There is so much fighting going on all around us. I, you know, in my lifetime, this is the most contentious, combative time uh, I have ever seen by far. And so when I say the word fight, I realize that some people are going to be like cringing, like, oh, no, he's not saying we're supposed to get in there and, and write angry posts and, you know, get all angry in the name of Jesus. And then there's others saying, yeah, it's about time. Man, let's, let's, let's fight. Let's, let's get that anger out. I'm sick and tired of where people are at, and I want to just let them know. And, you know, neither of those reactions are uh, what we're looking for. Um, man, when, when we look at the, the fighting going on today, it's like all this fire of outrage and anger and division and all that. And the last thing we want to do is throw gasoline on that fire. Uh, as somebody said, if you fight fire with fire, all in the end you end up with are ashes. And that's not what God's called us. God's called us to bring beauty out of ashes. That's what God does. So, our fight isn't against people who think differently than us. It's not against people who believe differently than us. It's not against people who vote differently than us. Our fight isn't against flesh and blood. Paul tells us that our fight is against evil forces in the heavenly realms. Peter tells us that Satan, our enemy, is like a lion who roams around looking for souls to devour, to, to eat up. So David was a fighter. David was a fighter, and Psalm 3 was written during the hardest fight of his life. Just to recap quickly, David's son, Absalom, good-looking, strong, charismatic guy, has over time gathered the loyalty of the crowds in Israel, as well as many of the leading warriors and leading advisors and leading men of David, his council, many of them have gone to Absalom's side. So Absalom has now garnished so much strength that he comes riding into 
Jerusalem to seize the throne and execute his father. And all David, with his smaller group of men who are left with him, can do is run away, is run. They're fleeing for their lives. And I, I shared that in some ways this seems to me to be a picture of where the church is at right now, at least in America. I feel like the church is more in retreat than it is advancing. Um, the church is, is having little impact on the culture. The culture is having tremendous impact on the church. It's the opposite of what we see in Acts, where they said the church was turning the world upside down. The world is turning the church upside down right now. Many people, as somebody prayed for this, many people, many people, you know people who have left the church. Many people are leaving the, the church. Many people are leaving the faith. More people are leaving the faith than are coming to the faith. There is a, there is a, a lack of people genuinely coming, at least in America, to a vibrant, transforming faith in Jesus Christ. Church growth, the churches that are growing, most of them uh, are growing because of church transfer, not because of people getting saved and coming into the kingdom. And, and that's, you know, I'm not down on that, but that's not the ultimate book of Acts look that the church is meant to have or goal that the church is meant to have. The question, is the church relevant to my life for many, for growing numbers of people, the answer is like, no, it is not relevant to my life. It does not speak to my life. If my life's falling apart, my marriage is falling apart, my finances are falling apart, my soul is falling apart, the church is not what I think of anymore. For David in this moment, I can't stress enough how much it looked like it was over. Stick a fork in it, David is done. He is riding out, he is toast, he is washed up, he has no chance. And I think there are some who would say that's true of the church. Like, okay, you know, the church is done, it's had, it's had a good run. We've had a good run, folks. But it's time to close the church up, it's not necessary anymore. It's kind of like Voltaire back, I think, in... The 1800s said that a uh, hundred years from that day that nobody would read the Bible. And I think 50 years later, they were printing the Bible in his house. So, um, but there are people today who are like, yeah, but now the church is done. Now the church is over. It's all washed up. But here's what we need to know. David was not running to escape. He's running to regroup. He and his men are going to turn and they're going to fight. They're going to fight again. And God is going to fight for him. And I am confident that is true of the church. Based on Jesus' promises that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will, and I'm talking about the church, not just this church. The church will rise up and prevail. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. By the way, gates are not offensive weapons. Armies don't march into war holding gates in front of them. Gates are defensive weapons. What Jesus is saying is the church is going to be on the offensive, stealing souls from the, the very gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not be able to stop the advance of the church. And that's true today. That is as true today as the day Jesus said it. I believe that. So over the next several weeks, what I want us to do is look at four ways that David 
fights in this psalm, before they ever even pick up a sword, and I think we can apply these to us. We're only going to look at the first one today. And the first one is this. Declare the truth of God's word before you can see the truth of God's word. Verse 3. Second step, we'll just kind of look through these real quick. Cry aloud to God. Kind of partly what we did this morning, praying. We want to do more of that. This week, Tuesday, 6.30 to 7.30. Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30. Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be praying, and I hope that you will be able to find at least one of those nights to join me for an hour in prayer. Because prayer is so essential to God moving more powerfully amongst his people. Third, fight against evil by doing good in the power of God, verse 6 and 7. And finally, believe that God belongs, that salvation belongs to God and he loves his people, verse 8. Let's just start with the first one, and this is as far as we're going to get. Declare the truth of God's word before you see the truth or can see the truth of his word in your life. Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. The number of enemies and the volume of voices speaking death into David's soul is overwhelming. Many, many, many. And they are speaking death to his soul. There is no salvation for you and God. And David does not argue with them. He doesn't get into a heated debate. He simply speaks a word of truth to oppose their volume of lies. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Saying the opposite of what they're saying. They're saying God is not your salvation. He's saying you, O God, are. But here's the thing. It's true, but David is saying it by faith because he can't see any of these things happening in his life right now. I mean, his life hasn't been shielded from disaster. Disaster is literally coming at him from every direction. David's head is not being lifted up in glory. He is literally hanging his head in shame and humiliation as he rides out fleeing. He's running for his life. In fact, in one town he comes riding through, he and his men, a guy named Shimei comes out. And this guy begins to throw stones at him and his men. And he begins to hurl insults and curses at them. Why is Shimei so confident that he's throwing stones and insults at the army of David? Because he knows the numbers, the vast numbers of people that are for David or against David is far bigger. This guy is on his way out. David is a loser. I can throw stones. I can finally let the curses I've had in my heart, I can throw them out at David. Because God isn't with him anymore. David's not riding in glory. He's riding in humiliation and shame. But David speaks God's promise. God is on my side. God will save me. God will shield me. He will lift up my head. He will be my glory. David speaks the truth 
of God's promises before he can see the truth of God's promises in his situation. There are many voices speaking lies over David. And the enemy still lies today. In fact, lies are the weapon of choice in Satan's hand. Jesus said Satan is the father of lies. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. That's his nature. He lies, so he's good at it. He mixes just enough truth into a lie to make it plausible, to make people fall for it. But the goal of his lies always are to devour faith. It's always to pry us away from Jesus Christ. That's the goal of his lies. And Paul says the way the Christian fights is by tearing down strongholds of lies that rise up against the knowledge and truth of Jesus Christ. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, <clears throat> they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's how we wage war, through the truth of Christ. See, lies take root in our mind and they begin to build bricks of strongholds to hold that land to get a foothold in us and they get the foothold and then they build a stronghold and that stronghold becomes a stronghold of lies we begin to believe a lie we begin to live out of what we believe about that lie and that begins to affect the trajectory of all every aspect of our lives there is nothing more part important about your life than what you believe it really isn't I mean it sets the direction of our lives. I want to mention one straight out. Evolution is a lie. It's a lie. People began to believe that we evolved from lower forms of life and through time and chance with no loving creator to inject meaning into life or to hold us accountable for life and what we do. And so, and by the way, I'm not touching on, I know some Christians are old earth and some Christians are new earth. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Darwinian godless theory of evolution that we evolved from the muck and slime, time and chance, From that teaching, from that belief system written by Darwin, who was an honest guy and a, and a, and a good thinker, but uh, he got it way wrong, two fruits came out directly out of that lie. I mean, directly out from it, consequence of it. The first one was Nazism. The search for the superior race, if it is survival by the fittest, then the strongest, the, the, the best, 
deserve to live, and anybody that is weaker deserves to die. Direct fruit of that teaching. And we see the horror and the blood shed of World War II. The other fruit is still abiding so deeply today, and so many young people are living under the the, the weight of this is a deep sense of meaninglessness and emptiness and hopelessness. Because if you think deeply, if we came out of muck and mire for time and chance, and there is no creator, there is, then you, you, you cannot attach any true meaning to life. You can try. You can attach silly little values that like, you know, well, we got to love each other and we got to we got to be good, and we got to do what's good for society. And everything. To which, uh, truly, the, the depth of that teaching says, why? In a meaningless time and chance where nothing means anything, what even is love? It's just, a, it's just a chemical reaction. I hear people say dogs don't have affections. They just see you, and they see the food. I'm like, no. Dogs have affection, guys. They do. They love people they love. Love is, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, bring this down to dogs, but love and beauty and all these other things, they're not just chemical reactions, but that's what evolution, nihilism is this sense of meaninglessness, and that's where evolution takes you, if you truly believe it. If you truly believe that this all came from nothing, it's all going to nothing, and there's no purpose in it, so you just want to grab as much food and as much fun as you can while you're going, Nihilism is the only destination you can come to, emptiness. And how many young people are living because they have believed the lie of evolution. They're living under the nihilistic hope. They wouldn't even know that word maybe, but they're living under that empty, meaningless weight. Nietzsche was a brilliant thinker who popularized in a book, a novel that he wrote, the phrase, God is dead. Nietzsche had a mental breakdown in his late life. That is, the, that is the natural course of getting rid of God from our lives. Nihilism is a lion that devours the soul. Evolution is a lion. It's all built on a lie. The lie, the same voices that say over David's soul, there is no God, and there is no God to save you or to rescue you. And if David had listened to those lies, they would have built a stronghold in his life. His soul would have shriveled and died. He would have believed, there is no God for me. There is no hope for me. How many people today are living under that kind of hopelessness? And demonic voices, and believe me, I believe there is a real person named the devil. They are speaking lies like there is no God. There is no God. Life is meaningless. You are worthless. There's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as right or wrong. And people hear these and they think, that's just, that's just, yeah, I mean, that's what everybody believes. That's, what, that's where science and education has brought us to believe. And it's like, but it gets a root in our thinking and it sucks faith out of us. Paul says, we don't fight the way the world fights. We don't fight with the weapons the world fights with. The truth of Jesus Christ and God's word has power to demolish 
divine power to demolish strongholds and bring thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. Power to take our thinking from hopelessness to faith in God. So Christian, we fight with truth. We fight with the truth of God's word. We believe the truth. We are to speak the truth. And I want to just encourage you, don't get angry, don't debate, uh, don't get into heated, don't shove the truth down people's throats, but believe the truth and don't let anything move you from the truth of God's word. This God's word is the truth. He is always right, always right. Now, sometimes we don't understand what it's saying and then we got to be humble, and, but when it's clear, we should be clear, believe the truth. And that's what the world needs. Church, that's what the world needs right now. Our culture has an interesting relationship with truth. Um, An interesting relationship with truth. We see it all around. Somewhere down the road, I'll probably get more into some of these things. But but have you noticed there's a push to turn objective things into subjective things? Um, You know, people talk about... Your truth and my truth. That's your truth. That's my truth. As if truth is something that's malleable depending on what we want the truth to be. You know, um, subjective things are malleable. They, they can change. They can be different from person to person. Opinions and tastes and perspectives are subjective. Is Maverick a good movie? Okay, we heard some, you know, and maybe some would say no. You know why? Because it's subjective. Are the Cowboys a good football team? No, I'm sorry, that's objective. <laughs> that's objective. No, they're not. <laughs> but you get the idea. Do you like anchovies on your pizza? These are, you know, you can't go on and start railing against people. You know, everybody needs to believe what I believe about anchovies on pizza. That's subjective. Truth is objective. It does not change based on what we believe. The law of physics doesn't change depending on what you believe about it or what you think about it. It is what it is. You either know it and believe it or you don't know it and you don't believe it. But it is what it is. It is an immovable law. The law of gravity does not care what you believe about it. And it doesn't care how many people believe what about it. If you had one person say, I don't believe in gravity, and jump off a cliff, guess what would happen to them? Splat. Now, suppose you had 50 billion people say, I don't believe in gravity, and jump off that cliff. You know what you got? 50 billion splats. Truth is not intimidated by numbers. It is immovable. It is a tower. You either move towards it or you move away from it, but it does not move towards you. Truth does not move towards us. We move towards it or we move away from it. Lies are meant to move us away from it. God's word is meant to move us towards it. And that's the only two options. And so our weapon of truth is God's word. Billy Graham Austin used to say, the Bible says. And God used him to see so many lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, people need to hear us say, the Bible says, not angrily, not shoving it down people's throats, but 
when people we love, people we know, move away from the word, just, just stand firm and say, but this is what the Bible says. This is why I believe it. Know why you believe it or don't, but declare it. You don't have to be a scholar and answer every question. Just say, I believe this is what God says. There is no God. No, I believe there is a God. The world needs that. They, they need it. There is no Savior. I don't need saving. I'm not a sinner. No, we are all sinners, and Jesus came to save us. Truth, truth, truth. And I was going to end with that, and I'm going to end soon. I promise. But I do feel like God adjusted my point. Because I was going to end with, truth does not move towards you. And I felt like God said, yes, that is absolutely true. Truth does not move towards you. But love does. And we are to speak the truth in love. Jesus came to move towards people. Towards the hurting. Towards the marginalized. Towards the outcast. Towards the sinner. Who every, you know, everybody else despised them because they were a prostitute, they were a thief, they were an exploiter or whatever, and Jesus moved towards them. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for dinner. He didn't move the truth towards them. When he, when, with the woman in adultery, he didn't say, you know what, adultery is actually not, not a bad thing, you know, looking at it from a certain light. He didn't move the truth towards her, but he moved towards her. Does no one condemn you? Neither do I. Everything those people with the stone said was true. But Jesus moved towards her with love. And then he said, go and sin no more. See, he moved her towards the truth, not the truth towards her. Here's the thing. It is possible, church. And I think, you know, you got segments of church, churches that are moving away from the truth in order to love. But you've also got true churches that are moving towards truth without love. And I think that's why a lot of people in the world are, are like, they don't see the love. They don't hear the love in the church. And here's the thing. It is possible to speak 100% truth and be 100% out of phase with God's heart. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love because we can completely misrepresent God and say true things if we're not saying them out of love. And people, we think, oh, they're rejecting the truth. No, they're rejecting the fact that we're not loving. We're obnoxious. Here's what happens. When we speak the truth without love, the truth gets distorted by our sin. Our sin takes that truth and turns it as toxic as a lie. Truth in the hands of a religious, self-righteous person turns them into a Pharisee who says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that jerk over there. Truth in the hands of a critical person turns its truth into a sword and they slash and cut people to pieces with criticism and judgmentalism. Truth in the hands of a gossip exposes people in order for that person to feel better about themselves. Truth in the hands of someone who has no compassion wounds rather than heals. Jesus was 100% holy and he moved towards people who are 100% sinful, and he loved on them, church, and he cared for them. Even the religious snobs, he loved them. He spoke truth to them, but it was in the hope that they would come and turn, turn and come to him. So I want to just close by saying there's a lot of hurting, broken people in the world. They're, they're imprisoned in demonic strongholds of lies that to them just feel like life. 
it's just, it's just life. Those lies have so ingrained, so built strongholds, that it's just life. It's just what I believe. It's what everybody believes. It's just, you know, being realistic, that's all. And we want to shine the light. No, realistic is God loves you. God loves you more than you know. That's realistic. God created you. You're not the, you're not the product of time and chance and some slime creature crawling out of the muck. You were created by God. He knit you together in the womb. And he loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's reality. That's truth. And the world needs to hear that. And then we need to pray that their hearts will be open to hear that. So let's go and let's, let's be that truth, that loving, loving truth. Truth doesn't move towards people, but love does. Let's, lo- let's move towards people, including our own family, our friends, our coworkers, with love, that with love we might introduce the truth to their soul. Let's pray together. You know, Father, we are born into this world. We didn't have a choice about being born here. We didn't have a choice about who we are or our families or what the state of the world is or even what generation of the world we'd be born into. Really, we don't have a lot of choices, and we could have been born into a world where God wasn't a loving creator. God didn't love us enough to save us. God didn't care enough to give us hope. So I just thank you, Lord. We thank you together that you you have entered history in the most beautiful and loving way possible to bring truth to us through Jesus Christ. But here's the beautiful thing, Lord. As Proverbs says, in Jesus, truth and mercy have met. Because we needed more than truth. We needed mercy. Jesus didn't come to obliterate the truth, but he did come to bring mercy in the midst of truth. Thank you for that. So we are here saved by the precious blood of Jesus and nothing we have done because we simply believe in Christ. Now, Lord, there are so many people around us. There are people walking away from the faith. Some of it might be, well, our fault. But we don't want to linger there. We want to repent where we have done damage, where we've made mistakes, and then ask you to forgive us and then ask you to move us forward forward to fight forward to fight not in anger but in love not with angry this and fiery that but with truth spoken in love and every single person in this room if they're a Christian they're an ambassador of that truth help us to shine that light Lord wherever we go And help us together as a church to shine that light in this community. And we ask this for the the glory and the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a, a great and blessed week. I hope to see you Tuesday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday night, or all three nights. God bless you.